Man, I have a refreshed respect for all you moms and dads who get your kids up and bring them to church on Sunday mornings. Um, you know, so I brought one and Lisa brought two and I, I'm ready for a nap. <laughs> so if I start to doze off halfway through the message, you'll get it, right? <laughs> today, um, 17th, here's a proverb for today. Whoever, overse- whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repent- repeats a matter separates close friends. Let, let me do that again. Whoever covers an offense seeks love. By the way, that doesn't mean makes a cover-up, right? That means someone who covers over it and doesn't broadcast it. They, that person seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. That's a great proverb. Lord, as we get into your word today, we recognize that you are holy and the reason that you gave us your word is so that we might know you better and that, Lord, it would help to shape us. So we, we submit ourselves to the loving hands of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we're in part seven of a series that I've called Conversation with God. That's how I view prayer, a conversation with God. And uh, this week and next week, and we'll be done with this subject for now anyway, next week we're going to be on the topic of how to pray in a crisis. If that uh, has relevance for you, and it either does now or it will, um, how to pray in a crisis, that's next week. Today, we're still in the same passage we were in last week. We were in James chapter 5, and uh, we got partway through that, about halfway through it. James 5, verse 13 to 18. Let's jump in at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. If, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will, will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. When we get concentrated instructions um, in God's word like this, we, I think we need to take a really close look because this is, is the Holy Spirit telling us what God wants us to know about prayer. I, I think this passage is probably the most concentrated teaching instructions on prayer in the entire New Testament. It's just packed in there. And if you're serious about your Christian walk, if you're serious about prayer, this is a topic that we should be mastering as, as followers of the Lord. And, and uh, you know, it, this, this, this passage doesn't yield up its fruit all that easily. There's a lot of stuff here. But when you grasp what it's, what it's saying, it's really, really f- powerful and impactful. Last week, we got about halfway through. So I want to take a quick time to review, in case you weren't here last week, to, to get you up to speed with the points that we had last week. I won't spend a lot of time. Um, but we talked about what this, talks, this, this passage talks about what to pray about. First one was a pray for emotional health. And some of the, I think some of the greatest ailments of our day um, are emotional ailments. Um, fear. Insecurity. Worry. Anxiousness. And how all of those things, when they are going on in our soul, how they kind of translate out into, and they somehow can show up as physical ailments. You know what I'm talking about. It's like James 5.13 asks this question, is any among you suffering? And of course, that's a rhetorical question. It's pretty obvious the answer to that. Um, This word suffering here is referring to evil treatment by other people. 
So if, he's asking, are any of you experiencing evil treatment by other people? Now, this, this passage is being written to Christians who had been scattered. If you go to, to James 1, verse 1, he talks about to all of the, 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 the Christians who have been scattered abroad. So they've basically taken off from Jerusalem, run all over the countryside, all over the world, the known world at the time, and they did that because as Christians, they were being persecuted in Jerusalem. So they had to leave. And he asked the question, are any of you guys suffering? Well, what do you mean are you we're suffering? We took off because of what they were doing to us. We had to leave. Yeah, we're suffering. So he, he starts right there um, about that persecution. And, and, and he basically says, if you don't take things that have happened to you at the hands of other people, if you don't take those things to God in prayer, it's going to ruin you. He's basically saying, if you don't do that, it's going to completely ruin you. And, you know, maybe, maybe you've run into p- some people in your life or, um, you know, people that you know, and I, I, I want to be diplomatic in the way I say this. If you've run into some people who have lots of life experiences, okay? They have a seasoned life and they have life experiences, but they tend to be angry all the time, maybe critical, negative all the time you can be sure of it, lots of things have happened that they didn't take to God in prayer. So instead of getting better, they've become bitter. Have you ever run into anybody like that? I mean, a, a better way to say this is that I think you, you, you get better or you get bitter depending on your choices about taking those things to prayer. You get better or bitter. I think every person... Every person everywhere living this life on this earth is either getting better or they're getting bitter. That's, that's just the wear and tear of life. If, if you're feeling a struggle um, in this way, um, get to prayer. Get to prayer. Either you're, either you're kneeling and giving it to God or it's gnawing away at your insides. And um, one of those two things is happening. And I wonder how many of the, uh, this is just a speculation, I just question how many of the the cancers and the high blood pressures and you know the kidney diseases and, and unresolved emotional stress that goes on, how much of that is flowing from this? We don't pray as we ought to. We don't take those things to the Lord as we ought to. And notice this broad range of emotions that he talks about. James goes from emotional suffering to, is anyone among you suffering? He says, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And there's God's right answer. In the peak... And in the valleys, when the sun's shining and when it's in the darkest of darks, when you're on top of the world and we're in the depths of despair, either end, pray, 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 pray. Because that's where emotional health is found, in prayer. And, and it's, it's no matter what you're facing, no matter how you feel, no matter what you fear about the future, God's provision for you in that is in prayer and praying rightly. Maybe you've heard a saying, I, this is not me, but the saying says, your health is less about what you eat and more about what eats you. <laughs> Listen, I know what you eat is important. Don't send me emails telling me that it's important to eat more fiber, okay? I mean, I know it's important. Um, but it might be that what eats you is the most important thing. And prayer is God's provision for that. I, I think... Sometimes we can tend to um, judge God pretty harshly about 
the realities of life that become you know heavy weights upon us and when we when we maybe should instead be looking at our prayer life and god gives us these first steps so pray for emotional health and the second thing is we he says to pray for physical health is any among you sick let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anoint him with oil in the name of the lord this this is the new testament model for healing right here and god does heal right we believe god heals right Right? Okay, we believe that. Now, I personally do not believe that God heals on demand. Hey, God, I'll take one of these now. You know, and I'd like my fries extra crispy. I, I, don't, I, I, I believe in asking and I believe in believing, but I don't believe that God heals on demand. I know, I know people teach that, um, but I just don't see it in the Word. If any is among you is sick, let them call. So, so the person who is the one who is sick makes the call, Right? The elders of the church don't go around door to door saying, seeing, finding, trying to find people that they can anoint with oil. This is, it's the sick person has faith. The sick person understands the word of God and says, okay, I'm supposed to call for that. Now, statistically, just even in a group this size, somebody here at some point is going to hear something from the doctor that nobody wants to hear. I'm not predicting doom and gloom. I'm just saying statistically. My question, rhetorical question is, what are you going to do right then? What will your reaction be? Will you remain, remember James chapter 5? Will you, will you call for the elders and, and let them come and pray over you? Because it says right here, let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save, this, this word save here is often used in the New Testament having to do with healing will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And this is implying this is going to be a total healing, strength, health, all of that. And if he has committed sins, which, you know, right here in the middle of this, this seems like an odd thing to put. Um, if he's committed sins, if, if he's committed sins, if, you know, I, I think that's, obviously everybody's committed sins because everyone falls short, right? Okay. In fact, um, first John tells us that, 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 that if anyone says he has no sins, the truth is not in him, right? So if, yeah, this isn't talking about generic run-of-the-mill, we've all sinned before. This is talking, it's not talking about that, it's talking about if he's committed any sins that are the source of his sickness, okay? So it's, it's, it's very appropriate in this setting for the elders to say to that person, not meaning to cause an offense, but to say to that person, hey, um, you know, we've come here to anoint you with oil. We've come here in confidence, and, um, and this is confidential, but we would want to ask, is there any besetting sin, any, any sin that just you can't seem to step away from? It's just this pattern, unconfessed sin, um, that the Lord has maybe allowed this to go on in your life. We're not saying this is because of sin, because not all, not all sickness comes from sin. Some is for the glory of God. Some sickness, we don't know why. Some of it's just because the earth is cursed, and randomly things happen. But, but we've got to ask this question because we want to be thorough and complete, because we love you. We, we want to help you here. Anyway, it says, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Great. So we pray for physical health. I mean, I wonder how much more healing we might see in the body of Christ and in the church if we took this incredible invitation from the Lord seriously. He's just saying right there, hey, if you're suffering, if, any, if you're suffering or if anyone is sick, call and let's pray. 
And I think if we got back to this part of, of what needs to be a part of every healthy Christian walk, that's, that somehow slips away from us. This kind of gets away from us over time. And we got back on point on this, um, that you know, prayer is first. Prayer, prayer, prayer needs to be most. Prayer, prayer needs to be longest. Prayer and praying and praying and calling on God, calling God who says, call to me and I will answer you. That needs to come first. If you're, if you're new to this, if you're new to this subject and you've heard of prayer and like, okay, what's the big deal? I, I need to tell you, God intended for this to be, um, he, he intended for his people to be a people of prayer. He wants to talk with you. He wants you to talk with him. He wants you to turn to him with your need. Okay, so pray for emotional health, pray for physical health, and then pray for spiritual health. Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Because, you know, sin can be a blockage to answered prayer, physically and emotionally. And um, because the reason that my prayers might not be answered could be because of pride or stubbornness or indolence, you know. It says, I'm to confess now, this word confess, um, homologeo, it, it, means, it literally means to say the same thing as. It's, it's ba- it basically means agree fully with God. You confess your sins. You say the same things about your behavior God does. <laughs> agree fully with what God believes about those things. Now, um, you are all adults now, so you know how to... Um, apologize or how to confess, but I thought just for the fun of it, I'd give you a script for a clean confession. Okay, so that's all this is. Okay, here's a script um, in case this would help you get back to a clean version. Here's one. I've sinned. I have no excuse. Nothing that anyone else did in any way justifies my sin. I'm wrong. I'm sorry for, and you name it, I have no excuse, please forgive me. I'm telling you, leave that up for a minute if you would. There's power in those words. And, and it isn't easy to get to the place where you can say and mean it, nothing that anybody else did in any ways justified what I did. That's ownership of the sin. And it's really healthy for you to take ownership of your sin. And it's really freeing for the, the, the person who's been hurt to hear you take total ownership for your part and not to point at anybody. I'm wrong for, and you name it, please, I have no excuse, please forgive me. And, and the person who, who, who can say that to God or to other people when it's appropriate they're going to ignite their prayer life. It, it's going to lock stuff, unlock stuff. And I know for some people, they, they read this, and it's a little bit confusing um, when it says, confess your sins to one another. You know, th- there's, th- that particular phrase has led to some false doctrine out there, particularly in the idea of what's called auricular <coughs> confession, auricular, A-U, like um, auricular, which the, the word auricular means into the ear. Okay, auricular confession. Some faiths teach that to be forgiven for your sins, you have to, to confess into the ear of, in their, their view, a qualified priest who will then forgive you. You following me? Tracking with me? Auricular confession. Um, we, we, we don't believe that. 
um, um, for many reasons, but uh, we, we don't believe in confessing of our sins to others for the purpose of forgiveness, okay? Uh, scripture teaches over and over again that, the only, that only God can forgive sins, right? Um, we can forgive each other our offenses, but the forgiveness of sins only comes from God. And in fact, um, there were times that that came up in the New Testament. And in fact, um, there was a time when Jesus was healing a lame man and he says to him in front of a bunch of Pharisees, in front of a bunch of religious leaders, he says, he says your, your sins are forgiven. And they go nuts, okay? They go nuts for donuts. They do not like Jesus saying to the guy, your sins are forgiven. And, um, and a little bit of a row starts up, and I'm giving you the paraphrase version, but basically he says, what's the difference between that and me saying to him, pick up your mat and walk your healed? It's the same. He says to the guy, and the guy's healed. Now, just kind of on a little rabbit trail, which I'm known for, um, he says, you know, he basically, they said, you can't do that. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus said, mm-hmm. Right? If you've read the story, that's basically what's going on in the story. People who think that Jesus never claimed to be God, they just haven't read the word. It's in there over and over again. But that's an example. He says, mm-hmm. But just to prove to you my authority, get up and walk, buddy. Your sins are forgiven. And the guy gets up. Of course, he gets up and walks. And, and Jesus is like, okay, Yes, yeah, and, and, and we, we also get that exact same teaching in First Timothy where um, uh, uh, basically the scripture says, there is no mediator between man and God except Christ Jesus. That's it. You don't have to have a priest fix things for you with God. You go right straight there. That's the plan. So we don't confess to one another for forgiveness, but somehow also we don't get to just dismiss James 5.16 that says confess your sins to one another. So then why? If it's not for forgiveness of sins, what's the reason there? There's not a very, uh, there's not a black and white answer that's the next verse. Like I say, well, just read the next verse. And answer. you know, preachers love that. Have you ever noticed how we like that? We'll read the first part, but not the second part and go, hey, let me show you. And it's the next verse. There's not one here for that. And there are lots of teachings on that, but I'm going to tell you what I believe. What I believe is consistent with Scripture and what I think that it teaches. I think that we confess our sins to one another for, um, for the assurance of forgiveness of sins. Okay, The forgiveness of sins comes from God and God alone. But I think a lot of Christians struggle with their assurance, their self-assurance that they've been forgiven of sins. And this is one of the steps. It's, it's one thing to admit you're a sinner. Yeah, I'm a sinner, because everybody's a sinner. That's easy to do, right? Well, it should be easy to do. It's relatively easy to do to say, yeah, yeah, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we can all do that fairly easy. But to say, no, I, I struggle with, and you put in the blank, and you say that to somebody else, I, 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 I sin this way, that takes you to a whole new level. And... Um, James has, has very clearly here moved onto the topic from emotional and physical health to spiritual health. I think we'd all agree that we need the Lord's healing at every level, right? All one of those three. And, and he's very clearly gone there. And, and, and God promises all of that, all of those healings to all of us according to his will. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So we pray for emotional health, physical health, spiritual health. Number four, we need to pray for specific needs. 
I love this next verse. It's great. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Some translations for this phrase, as it's working, say effective. And the Greek word here is energeo. And we get our word energetic or energy from it. Impacting, effective, it means effectual. It's, it's like this prayer um, of this person is, is moving, it's churning, it's creating this like plowing things up and breaking things apart and impacting. It's got this great power. And, and that, that, that word great power, it means it has, it's, it's very strong. It has a lot of effect. It's making a difference. Energetic praying is very strong. But wait, there is this qualifier in this sentence too. Did you catch the qualifier? From a righteous person. That's not suggesting some self-righteous, pious person. It's literally meaning a person in right standing with God. I think I've told you before a story, a personal story um, from my past. Um, If you've heard this before and this is boring to you, forgive me for that, but I I feel like I will share it anyway. Um, What are you going to (laughs) do? So... so, I've been a pastor now for 35-ish years or more. I don't know, a long time. And um, <clears throat> way, 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 way back, I um, really felt like I had this whole pastoring thing figured out. And um, if people around me didn't have that figured out, well, they can just catch up. I mean, I never really said that, but that was my demeanor as a pastor. And there were times that I was really insensitive with hurting people and harsh and pharisaical, and uh, uh, you know, Scripture says that he whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Let me translate that for you. If he loves you, there will be times where your behavior will not be acceptable to him. So he will pull you by the hair through the tiniest of knot holes until your heart, this is my experience, okay, until your heart gets pulverized enough to be soft enough that you could be responding to him when he whispers instead of pulling you through the knot hole instead. <laughs> Did that make sense? Well, it made a lot of sense to me because there was just, you know, I thought I had things wired a little better than I did. And I'm careful now to not ever think I've got things figured out. I'd rather just go through the tender touches of the Lord than... than. Anyway, so there, was, there, was, there, was, there were people hurt. And as I looked backwards, it's like a boat, you know, there's a wake in the water. I could look back in my ministry and there were hurt people back there. And the Holy Spirit was working on me and my heart was really beginning to break about. And I didn't understand... You know, I wanted to do right and so forth, yet I was hurting people. And I could tell. And that was taking a wear and tear. Back to the beginning. Is any among you suffering? I was the one that was causing the suffering. And that was making me suffer as a pastor. Would you go to a church where a pastor does that and it's fine with everybody? <laughs> of course not. So, you know, so I'm in my profession. You either get that kind of stuff squared away in your life or, you know, the Lord shows you the door and says, you know, go find another thing to do, Terry. You're not good at this. And I, I wanted to serve in the Lord's house. And um, so I went to the elders of my church, and I was in a position of authority there. There weren't very many people to whom I was accountable. People were accountable to me instead. That's even worse, right? This is not a good picture. And uh, instead of what could be done, 
which happens a lot in the body of Christ. A, a, a Christian fails. What, what you see happening a lot is someone will open the door and the next person will go, give them one of these. <laughs> you know, Instead of being kicked out, um, my pastor said to me, well, you want to deal with this righteously before God and get this squared away or not? <laughs> yeah, I do. And he had me stand in front of the church one time on a Sunday night. And uh, that was the reason for the whole Sunday night service, although we did other stuff. We decided to have this big church meeting where we cast all this vision and so forth. And he saved me till last. And all these people who were sharing all this good, wonderful, exciting things, and the place is packed. Word had got out that something was going to happen that night. And um, um, finally I got up and I stood in front of the entire church on a Sunday night and I said, you know, I, I've been insensitive and I've hurt many of you and it's wrong because it's in my heart. And, um, you know, I, I just did this, this thing kind of like what I said to you before. No, nothing, and nothing that anyone else did in any way justified. You know, I, did, I didn't say those words, but that was what I was communicating. This is on me and I'm sorry. And I, forgive me. And I'll go to every person I know that I can figure this out. And if I don't get to you, it's because I don't know. Come to me. I want to make this right. And by the time I was done with it, it seemed like it took a year. It was probably three minutes. I don't know. I was wet, totally crying, probably snot, the whole, snot, you know, the whole thing. I was a mess. And, um, and I'm going somewhere with this. Um, <laughs> And um, I turned around, and of course, my pastor was right behind me the whole time. I didn't know he was standing there. He just gave me one of these, and, and you could feel something break in the church. It was all real, real healthy. Okay, I'm, I told you that whole story, not to, so you would think better of me, but because I want to tell you what happened about three weeks later. Three weeks later, maybe it was two months later, it was a while later, another leader in the church who I had hurt and had tried to make things right but he was unwilling for me to make things right with him. And he came up to me and he started saying things back to me that I had repented for in front of the church. You're this, you're that, you're this, you're that. I don't think he meant to be a tool of my enemy, but the things he was saying were really hurtful and they wanted to take me back to prior to the repentance Right? You follow me? Because you have an enemy of your souls who is the accuser of the brethren. And he wants you to believe that instead of what Christ says about you. And he wants you to think that you have no place to go before the very creator of the heavens and the earth and say, God, I'm hurting. Would you heal me? God, my little one is hurting. Would you heal me? God, this, this is happening in my life. Would you intervene? God, these people over here need heaven's intervention. Your enemy wants you to think you have no place to say those things. And so this guy was saying these things to me. And I remember getting, you know, just, this was someone, I was his boss. <laughs> and he's, he's spitting up. And as I look back now, I think he probably needed that to purge. He needed to, excuse me, he needed to vomit so he could feel better. But at the moment, it didn't feel so good to me. And I had this internal battle because the things he was saying to me were facts, but they weren't the truth. Do you get the difference? And the truth, the facts were I had done and been that. The truth was I was a man in right standing with God. 
and my prayers were effectual and powerful. That, that, that's, that's you and me. The, the, a couple of weeks ago, um, we were in Luke chapter 18, and there's a story that Jesus told about these two guys that go to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. You might, I'm not going to do the whole thing again. But this Pharisee who prays first, he, he, gets, he gets there and he, he, goes, he stands up in the front of the, the temple. Everybody see me, <laughs> kind of a thing. You know, and he starts his prayer, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. <laughs> you know, off he goes. And I'm thinking, oh man, back away in case the lightning hits. I don't want any side bolts to get me. He's saying these things and you know, I, I, I fast a lot and I, I tithe like I'm supposed to and I'm just, I'm glad God, I thank you God that I'm not like this tax collector, <laughs> which by the way is the most honest thing he prayed, Right? Because when you find out about the tax collector, but he's like, he's going on and on, and it's all this. God, the first part just makes me chuckle. I mean, God, I thank you that I'm not like, I'm going to credit you, God, but what I really mean to say is, check me out, God. (laughs) Look what I've turned myself into. (laughs) That's really what he's praying. This guy's like, what a crazy thing. Okay, then the tax collector gets up there. He doesn't go to the front, he stays in the back. He won't even look up and make eye contact. He beats, it says it beat, he beats his breast. Lord, he says, God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus' comment about these two guys was, that is the guy who went to his house justified. Justified. Justified means that we, were, we, we, we are declared and treated as if we are righteous. You know, Romans 5 teaches about this. It says, it says, therefore, be justified by faith. And we have peace with God and with, with Christ Jesus. Romans 3 says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You know, if you've turned from your sin and you embrace Jesus by faith, you, you, you know, you can have Christ's righteousness. That's how this works. And um, we, if, you, if, you, if you've done that and if you're saved, you have the imputed righteousness. Jesus' righteousness is how you're viewed in heaven. Okay, it's a great deal. Here's the thing. You're not righteous. I'm not righteous. We're not righteous. But we get treated as if we are because that's how God's grace and mercy works, this imputed righteousness. Christ, Christ righteous, Christ's righteousness is applied to my life. It's great. And Paul talks about this in Philippians 3, where he says, he says it like this, says, we can be found in Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, which you can't achieve, all fall short of the glory of God, right? You cannot become righteous by the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that, de- that depends on faith. Wow. So through faith in Christ, we are that person. It's because we're in Christ. Because we're in Christ, our energetic prayers become really powerful. That's what that whole passage put together means. Do you understand what a powerful prayer tool that you are? You've you got to know this. You need to know this. The enemy of your soul is going to accuse you and lie to you. You're not know, righteous. You're righteous. You're weak. That's what the enemy of your soul is going to say. But an appropriate answer is, you know, 
you know, to the enemy. Don't talk to the enemy, by the way. You don't need to have any conversations with the enemy. But down in your soul, you can say, the answer to the, when the enemy says, you know, you're not righteous, say, I couldn't agree with you more. That's why I confess my sins to the Lord and I sing his praises and I'm, I start with adoration and thanksgiving and, 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 and then when the time comes for me to share my needs with the Lord, I'm already viewed by God as the righteous one. Even if I'm not, you know, that I'm not the husband, I'm not the wife that I want to be today. I'm not the parent that I want to be. Even, even if, you know, I'm, I'm, even if I make those mistakes, I'm going to go back at it tomorrow. Tomorrow's a new day, and I have the righteousness of Christ. I'm not going to let the enemy keep me away from prayer. Yeah, I feel inadequate on my own, but God says he wants me to come boldly before the throne of grace. Hebrews 4. God wants to hear from the person who, who knows that their righteousness comes from him, not because of themselves. So we pray for results. Number five, we start praying for something to happen. Pray for something. Pray this week. Pray this week for something to happen. You know, the prayer of a, of a righteous person, the way I learned it, is the effectual, fervent prayer of a, pers- of a man in right standing with God avails much. Pray for something to happen this week. Pray for a door to open or a door to close. Pray for a heart to soften. Pray for, for a, some sort of contact, somebody to come into your life that you need. Pray for daily bread. Pray for sufficient grace. Pray for more faith. I, th- I think about you know, increasing faith. That's important because I think many times we pray for easier paths when we should pray for stronger legs. <laughs> you know, I think um, when you only bring prayers to the Lord to change something that's causing you pain, you might sometimes ask the Lord to increase your capacity to live with it until he changes it. Well, I don't want to think about the fact that God's not going to change it or it's going to take a while. You know, I, I don't want to make any assessments about how much time is enough time, but the question maybe to ask yourself is, has there been enough time for you? Have you learned now, all, by now in your, in your walk with the Lord that God's not on your timetable? You cannot intimidate him onto your timetable? You can't pout your way onto him onto your timetable. It doesn't work for my granddaughters, I can tell you this. I mean, you just can't get there. And I think sometimes the delay is God making me spiritually fit to receive something that he was already planning to do in the first place. So, you know, maybe, maybe what's going on with the delay is until some of these things get settled in me, God's not going to pull back on the pressure that was allowed in the first place to shape those changes in me. It makes sense. I don't know if that made sense or not, but I mean, sometimes that's what's going on as the Lord is shaping something in me. Okay, six, pray for little steps and small confirmations. Now, if you know, if you've read, one of the coolest things to read is this showdown at Mark, Mount Carmel, Carmel um, between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Um, you can read about it in 1 Kings 18, but here's, here's an excerpt, not of that, but here's what led up to it. And Elijah came to all the people and he said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if the view TV show, then follow them. <laughs> oh, sorry, it says Baal. <laughs> it, or it could say culture or what everybody else does at school or fill in the blank. You know, if, if, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if what everybody else thinks is God, then follow them. He's basically saying, pick. 
Why did I pick on The View? I have no idea. I didn't even know there was a show called The View. You not believe me on that? Okay. All right. So, so here's what happens. He says to the people, pick your God, follow him, and then live with it. That's basically what he's saying here. So he challenges, there's 450 prophets of Baal, and then him. It's not very fair for them. They're way outnumbered anyway. So, um, so he challenges them to this, this duel. It's pretty cool. He says, here's what we'll do. We'll test to find out whose God is really God. Let's both sacrifice a bull. You build an altar, sacrifice a bull, I'll build one. We'll both do whatever you need to do, but don't light the fire. You build it, and whoever's God causes fire to come down and consume that offering, that's the real God. Everybody agree? The prophet said, yeah, that's great. That's a great test. Let's do that. He says, okay, home court advantage. You go first. So they build this big wooden thing, and they pile up the wood, and they cut up their bowl and all the stuff that they do that, and they get it all ready, and they start praying. These prophets of Baal, and they're talking to Baal. And um, they're, they're dancing, and they're jumping. Scripture says they're jumping around, and um, it's not going very well. Nothing has started, and it's the middle of the day, and nothing happens. So they start cutting themselves. And basically, my, my version says there's blood gushing. So it's a mess. They're doing all the stuff that they think they got to do to get attention from God. Hurt themselves. By the way... Um, that's a major difference between Christianity and every other faith on the earth. Our God wants to serve us and care for us. All the other so-called gods want you to cut yourself or do things or sacrifice something. Anyway, our God sacrifice for us, it's the opposite everywhere else. So they're doing all this stuff. Nothing's happening. And Elijah's kind of enjoying the show. And he starts asking them questions. <laughs> I was going to say taunting. He's taunting them. And he says, well, hey, keep going. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's sleeping. Now, if you read it carefully, you know, I think that the translators are trying to be so polite. But if you read it, it actually, he actually says to them, maybe he's busy going to the bathroom. <laughs> he's mocking their God. Oh, he's Never mind. Okay, so, so he's in the outhouse. Maybe he's in the outhouse. If you just wait a little longer, maybe you should cut yourself. He's just mocking them. Nothing happens. My turn. So he gets up there, and he builds the altar, puts the bowl on top. He digs a trench. Let's call it a moat. He digs a trench around the altar. He says to a bunch of guys, hey, go fill those jars up with water. Pour it over the top. They go and they do that. Get it, do it again. They pour it over the top. More. They do it again. They pour it over the top. Now it's completely drenched, dripping wet, and the water has now filled the moat. It's like a big giant pond. And he prays this simple prayer. Show him, God. <laughs> Down comes fire. It's consumed. The whole wet mess is consumed. And of course, the agreement was whoever's God does this is the real God. And all the people are going, wow. You, can you imagine? Can you imagine that moment? Wow. They're going and, and they say, this guy's God really is the God. And of course, he seizes the moment. He says, yes, he is God. These are false prophets. <laughs> and it's not a happy day for those 450. What a, we, we look at this guy. This is Elijah. What a great man of prayer, right? Right? Okay. But here's the Elijah headline in this passage we're going through today, verses 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. 
If you know your Old Testament, you go, wait a minute, whatever he had, I, I want some of that. The thing is, though, right after that whole big win at Mount Carmel, he's hungry, he's afraid, he has this big-time bout with depression. I think, I think the Lord needs to help us sometimes, sometimes dispense with this idea once and for all that, that, that people who live like that and pray like that are just a different stratosphere of people than us. They're, they're something special. You know, Elijah with a prayer is Russell Wilson with a football, okay? And I'm just Terry with a football. I'll never be able to throw that pass in the Super Bowl. I mean, Elijah is Russell Wilson making $1.37 million per game. I did the math, okay? And I'm the guy that if I ever can afford to go to a CX game, I pay $12 for a, a danger Russ dog, hot dog, 12 bucks. I pay 12, he gets 1.37 million. I wonder how much he's being paid while I eat the hot dog. I mean, it's gotta be $50,000 while I just eat the hot dog. And he sits on the bench because the, the D is on the team. I mean, I'm Terry, Elijah is Russell Wilson with a football. That's what we think. It's just not so. It says right here, this passage tells us, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Moms, you can pray just like Elijah. Dads, you can pray just like Elijah. People who are wrestling with infertility, you can pray just like Elijah. If you're a single person and you are looking for that lifelong mate and it's tearing your heart and you're waiting, you can pray just like Elijah. Whatever major issue is in your life from loneliness and despair, I mean, Elijah, he felt all those things. And he prayed, and God answered. And he was just like us. And, and what's listed here is just, what, what goes on is just one incident. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This, this whole incident had to do with his interaction with King Ahab and uh, Jezebel. Yes, there really was a woman named Jezebel, and she was, you know, she, where that saying comes from. And, and these two people were an absolute thorn in the side of Elijah and his whole ministry. And it's interesting here that we don't ever see Elijah, the guy who calls down fire, talking to God about them and saying, Get him, God! I mean, <laughs> he never does. There's nothing like that. I mean... If you can calm down fire from heaven, how hard would it be to take out two politicians, right? He doesn't do that. <laughs> he never prays like that. His prayers about rain and fire were about bringing these people to their knees, about bringing them to humility. He prayed for a little step on a long journey toward what God ultimately wanted in the end. If you think that your prayers have to all be these great big move mountains, rock the world prayers. And that's on your soul, pray that. But they don't have to all be that. You know, God, I want my sister saved today. Listen, God wants your sister saved too. He's not willing that any should perish. But sometimes he delays. Do you ever wonder why God isn't back yet, why Jesus isn't back yet? You know, I mean, I think he's giving people more time. God is so merciful. He's giving us more time. 
And, and, and I think while that's happening, we should be praying also these little incremental, Lord, help me have a good conversation with my sister today about eternity where she doesn't get all angry and hang up. A little incremental step. You know, God, would you pray just a little bit of hunger in her heart for your word? Tuck those little things in. God will honor those prayers. You know, just pray for some step along the way. And then let God link those things into getting to the destination that he wants them to be at. Great prayers come from people who choose to pursue God in fervent prayer. It's that simple. You and me. God's waiting to hear our, our effectual, fervent prayers. And I, I want to be that person. I want you to be that person. So, this passage, we pray for emotional health, physical health, spiritual health, specific results, something to happen, little steps and small confirmations. Next time, we're going to wrap up our series on prayer, and we're going to talk about praying in a crisis. Let's pray right now. Lord, I'm grateful to, uh, to be able to not have to experience many times the difficult things that people in the scriptures have experienced, and you've given us your word instead to see this. Lord, fill our hearts today with faith to know that, God, you have called us the same, to be the, we have the same nature as Elijah, and he did these amazing things, and he prayed these amazing things. Why should we think that it's any different from us? It's no different. Elijah didn't do those miracles. We are talking to the same author of life who did those miracles then. Why would it be any different for us? So, Lord, let it be found in our hearts. Now, God, I, I, I'm sure that, I, because it happened to me as I was preparing for this, that there were things in my life that you said, hey, Terry, come on, how about this? That there are things that, that I have to just own with you and pursue with you. And I know, the Lord, that there are, there are things like that in our lives to do today that, that maybe are circulating in our souls. But your scripture also tells us that the, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So we understand the difference between our loving Father correcting and shaping us versus the condemning lies of hell that tell us lies about who we are, that would tell us that we, we don't have a place with you. Help us to discern that difference and respond, Lord, to the loving correction of heaven and then to step in faith. God, I, I think about right now the things that are stirring in our hearts that are just in this room today relationships that are broken, marriages that need a touch, physical healings, things that doctors have told us, tests that have happened, the waiting between the initial treatment for cancer and now we got to wait and see, is it gone, gone? Lord, the child that has somehow run away from righteousness like a prodigal, Lord, we wait for them to come back, God, but we need heaven's intervention. So we pray, God, for specific results in these cases. We pray, Lord, for wholeness and for healing and for the defeat of cancer. We pray for the strengthening of things in our soul that need to, Lord, where these besetting sins, we just seem to keep going back time after time. Help us, Lord, to find this place where, where heaven builds a foundation and we do not go back. We admit our weaknesses to you, Lord. We admit our, 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 our failures to you, Lord. We, we don't lay it off to other people. We don't lay it off to our past. We don't lay it off to this thing that happened to us. The choices we've made, God. Forgive us, Lord, we pray. Please stay in an attitude of prayer. I just want to speak to any souls present who 
see these truths about themselves and yet they, they kind of stand on the outside there. They don't really know God and they do want to know that their eternity is forever saved. And they would turn to heaven. Scripture says all who call on the name of Christ will be saved. We've read the scriptures today that, that tell us, God, that it's not by our acts we become righteous, but by the name of Christ, but by, by the righteousness of Christ. Some here don't own that, but you'd like to. I'd like to give you the opportunity to open your heart to Christ and say, I, I just confess to you, Lord, I need you as Lord and Savior. If you do that, your name will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Your eternity will be forever sealed. It's heaven that you gain and hell that you avoid. If you'd like to do that, I don't want to call anybody out or embarrass you. I just want to pray with you. So I'm going to look across the room, and if that's your prayer, that's your desire, would you just look up at me? Just give me a little tiniest of hand waves or something so I can see that's why I'm praying with you. Right now, stick your hand up. God bless you. Anybody else? Go ahead. I want to thank you, Lord, for people who have heard your spirit today and have responded. Scripture says that when even one soul opens their heart to Jesus, like the, like the angels have a party in heaven, what a grand thing. Thank you for that, Lord. And now, Lord, we, we will worship you with our hearts and with our soul. Would you go and stand, and as we sing, we cry.